Good morning. I always have to choose the title of my sermon way before I'm ready to, so I'm changing it to a community shaped by the kingdom of heaven. It's a much more fitting title for what I'm going to talk about this morning. Thank you um, to everyone who pitched in this month. It's been a big month. Uh, we've had a lot going on at Grace. We served at Breakthrough three times in September, um, which was quite a bit to bite off as like the fall is starting. It was really busy. We did the hunger walk, and then we did the permanent supportive housing guests at Breakthrough. Um, we, we, we served a meal for them. And then this week, we served a meal again at the women's shelter. And it took a lot of hands on deck, and um, we felt pretty stretched thin. I know a lot of you did. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. On top of that, we've had five babies in five weeks, which has meant a lot of you have gotten together to cook for these new families, and it's been really appreciated. Um, and, and, and so not only was like, I mean, that took people out of it, and that made more people like chip in. And so it's, it's been a big month, and we had the, the, the barbecue, uh, the summer barbecue. And last week, we had beer and hymns. So it's been a big, it's been a big and busy month, um, and September feels like that, and maybe extra because it's been so hot, I don't know. It feels, feels busy. Some of you are back into jobs at schools as teachers or social workers or school psychologists. The kids are back in school. Some of you are already counting down the days till Christmas. Others are getting back into the routine of being on the road, traveling or heading downtown for work again. We've had a lot of church events this month, but I thought I'd also remind us of this, which comes from a vision statement that was created in some year at Grace. It says this, we desire to support and encourage professionals in their work communities, acknowledging that God values our work and uses the workplace to form character, develop personality, and refine personal goals and ambitions. We seek to develop a perspective on life in the city that is saturated by the meaning of the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our primary church program for influencing the city is not a program at all. It's a people. It's a worshiping life that shapes bankers and teachers and parents and students and accountants and children more and more into the cross-shaped likeness of Jesus. And to that end this morning, we consider what it means to be a community woven together by Christ, living in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of heaven. We imagine a community whose imaginations are shaped and given life, not by the marketplace or politics or tamped down by our anxieties or fears, but whose imaginations are kindled into flame by a vision of a kingdom that has no end. I wonder what God, the creator of all things, the source of of all life would say if he were to empty himself and take on flesh. If that God were to put aside all of the angelic aspects of being divine and come to us in skin and bone and spend two to three years in public ministry with human beings of all the millennia we've existed, I wonder what that God might say. It would be the most important thing ever. He would say this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
He would incessantly and repeatedly say that the kingdom of heaven was near. He would tell stories that describe this kingdom, stories about farmers and merchants, pearls of great price, fishing, sheep, darkness, and light, mustard seeds that grow into fairy tale trees. He would talk about the kingdom and who it was given to and how it could be seen. The kingdom of God was the thing that God talked about when God became Christ. It was the thing that became a possibility when love took on flesh. And the community that is woven together in Christ will be animated by this bizarre, backwards way of being in the world. This Sunday's texts have us thinking about the kingdom of heaven. Not only this text that we're about to read, but the other lectionary texts. We read two of them. Every the lectionary offers us like five to seven texts to choose from. And this week, they have me thinking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. They have us imagining what God's reign, his justice, his kingdom is like. And it's like, well, it's like a people wandering in the wilderness who have just been saved from captivity in Egypt. They were in Egypt in captivity for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then in a matter of months, God showed up and heard the complaints of his people and with mighty signs delivered them and then literally split the water in two so that they could walk through freedom away from the most powerful empire on the planet and getting to the other side after their songs have died down, they realize they are hungry and they say to that very God, if only we had died in Egypt, you've brought us out in the wilderness to be killed kingdom of heaven is like a God who said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven because I've heard the complaining of my people. The kingdom of heaven is like the strange city of Nineveh in Assyria. The city was the enemy of God, violent and crass. It swallowed up weaker nations. It worshiped pagan gods, yet God loved the city and waited for it to repent but not even the prophets of God were willing to go to Nineveh. No, Jonah said to God, I knew you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Take my life from me, for it is better that I die. And God said, is it right for you to be angry? Yes, Jonah said, angry enough to die. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them to work in his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went, and when, out, when he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first come, came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only for an hour. You've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of this day and the scorching heat. 
But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do as I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am so generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How bizarre that we pray in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I think we have no idea what we are praying for. This parable is just a reminder of the sort of foolishness we're asking for when we pray that prayer. We don't know what we're praying for. I mean, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen. I mean, this would, this would never fly. This is not fair. This is not fair as fairness goes. You can imagine the scene, right? The marketplace where everyone gathered. We still have these sorts of, 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 of towns and cities where day laborers go and wait to see if anyone needs help during the day, trying to make a daily wage. This was how it happened um, in Jesus' time. There was the center of town, perhaps the city gate in some cities, where they would go and stand and wait and see if anyone needed help with the harvest, moving some brush or clearing a field or whatever it was. They were ready to do it. And one denarius was the daily wage. One denarius was enough to feed a family for a day. No more, no less, just that. So these are the poor. They're waiting um, to see if they can get some, some work for the day. It's a scene you can picture. And the manager begins hiring at 6 a.m. The sun is up. The workday is 6 to 6. It's a long, hard day. But it's a survival. But the manager goes back at 9 and 12 and 3, and then at 5 o'clock. And the workday ends at 6. And then the manager calls the workers that are hired in the 11th hour, and they come forward to receive their payment expecting what, I guess a twelfth of a denarius? I don't know what that was, but not much, maybe a little bit, something for the family. And they're given a full denarius. They can't believe it. Best day ever. They're overjoyed. They're going to bring home a full day's wage to their family. Saved from embarrassment. The workers hired at 6 a.m. are also excited. They're hopeful. Because if one hour equals one denarius, 12 hours equals 12 denarii. And so you can imagine their offense when they go up and they've been working all day and they're tired and the other guys are running home, jumping up and down. They're super excited. And they receive one. It's not fair. Why didn't we just come at five o'clock then? I'll see you tomorrow at five, they say. This isn't how this is supposed to work. Parables are not intended to give answers as much as they are intended to raise questions. And this parable raises a few. If you're an employer, maybe it raises some questions about how you hire labor. I don't know. The scene of the laborers reminded me of, 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 of hiring in Uganda. We, we, we spend a lot of time in Uganda. We've gotten to spend a lot of time in Uganda. My wife and I studied abroad there. <clears throat> and it always seems like they have more people working than they need. You, you go to the gas station and there's someone working each and every pump, waiting for you to drive up to their pump. And you think, gosh, 
we could pump our own gas, or you could just have one person out here. But no, there's four people standing around the pumps. We work with some people in Uganda, and occasionally we'll say something like, you know, we'll be traveling somewhere. Do, do we need to hire this person to do this? this I don't know if we need to, but we should. We should hire them because we can afford to hire them. And, and, and it seems like the MO in, in hiring in Uganda is that if you can afford to hire X number of people at the daily wage, you do it because you have an obligation to people to hire them. The, 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 the laborer or the, the landowner here doesn't go back because they don't have enough people to get the harvest done. He goes back because he sees people standing idle and he can pay them and he wants to and he does. So I think one subplot of this story is that the kingdom of heaven is a place of generosity and gratitude. You know, so, but people talk about God, um, God's justice and I think they talk about justice being equivalent to fairness. God's not really fair, right? I mean, um, and, and this story is just one small example of how God's justice looks a lot more like generosity and grace than it does like our definition of fairness. His understanding of justice is not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's the sort of justice that brings the one who's only worked for an hour and says, here's a day's wage. God is generous and gracious. The kingdom of heaven is generous and gracious. Subplot number two of this parable might be that profit is never the agenda of the kingdom of God. And every parable that talks about money reiterates this point over and over again. Profit and wealth is never the end goal. And people who live according to the values of Christ and of his kingdom cannot have profit as the primary goal of anything. I was thinking about this. The, what came to mind was last uh, winter when we went to Baker Miller to do their, uh, they did a bread baking class for us. Dave and Megan started um, a little pie shop that grew into a restaurant. And if you haven't been to Baker Miller, they have several locations around town that you should check out. It's awesome. But um. What came to mind was, was, was how when you listen to them talk about their business and their bakery and what they're passionate about, it becomes really clear that there are a list of priorities and that profit serves several that are above it. Um, that, that, that paying their workers a living wage that they can actually make it on is a priority that the goal of making profit serves that priority, right? And um, 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 buying... Uh, good grain from farmers that they know at, at, at costs that are fair, that are good for the body and the earth, that's a priority higher on the list than making profit. And I think this is just a parable that reiterates the, 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 the somewhat obvious but incredibly counterintuitive and countercultural idea that profit can never be the end goal for the Christian. It always must serve another purpose. And I don't know what exactly that purpose always is. It probably changes, but it has something to do with people and treating them well. The landowner isn't worried about what the net profit is at the end of the day. He's more concerned about hiring people and bringing them, serving them, giving them a denarius to bring home. The parable raises all sorts of other questions. You could preach a sermon on any, any, any sort of angle on this parable. But fortunately, this is one of the parables that at the end of it, it gives you the main point. And so rather than beat around the bush a ton, it just, you know, just get to the point. The point of this story that Jesus tells is this. 
the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's what Jesus is heading towards. That's the point. That's the reason he tells this story. This parable comes in the middle of a series of chapters where Jesus is driving home the point that the last shall be first and the first shall be last over and over and over again. It starts, it starts well, in the beginning of Matthew, but in chapter 18, the disciples come up to Jesus and they've heard about him talking about the kingdom of heaven everywhere Jesus goes. That's like, that's his stump speech. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the disciples come up to him and they just ask, you know, um, Jesus, which of us, who, how do I put this? Jesus, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven among us? And Jesus says, Bobby, little Bobby, come here. He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A little while down, they're walking to Jerusalem and a group of children run up to Jesus and the disciples are busy with the agenda of their kingdom and they don't think that Christ's kingdom has time for these children and so he shoes them away. But Jesus sternly rebukes them and says, no, 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 I wasn't kidding. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And as he's finishing this admonition, the rich young ruler comes up who's not only rich and young and a ruler, he's good looking, and he's pious. He's religious. He goes to the temple. He does what's right. He knows the scriptures. He comes up to Jesus and, and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus says, go sell everything you have. And then come find me. And I'll tell you what's next. He says, go sell everything and then come find me. And the rich young ruler goes away. And Peter says, Jesus, we, uh, we gave everything away. Remember when you said that uh, whatever you give away, you'll get a hundred times back? We gave everything away. And Jesus says, let me tell you a parable about the first and the last, Peter. And he tells him this parable. This parable is for the disciples who might imagine that they're first and who again and again and again need to be reminded that the first shall be last, that the greatest shall serve the least and the least will be greatest. Jesus tells this parable to the disciples and the point is that anyone who imagines themselves as the first, the deserving, the ones who have earned it, will find themselves last and the last will be first. And having heard this wonderful parable, James and John get their mom to go up to Jesus and say, can my son sit next to you in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus records the first facepalm in history. And he says, you do not know what you're asking. You don't get it. You don't get it. The first will be last and the last will be first. My kingdom's not going to look like you want it to. Jesus himself, the greatest, will have to become least for them to get it. That is the cost. Only when he is willingly stripped and beaten and crucified and resurrected, only then do the disciples finally begin to understand that the bread and the wine what the bread and the wine means for the kingdom of God, that Jesus will be broken, that his blood will be poured out, that the one who sits on the throne of the kingdom of heaven is not prim and regal, but a lamb standing as if slain. When God took on flesh, he talked about the kingdom of heaven. Stanley Hauerwas writes, Jesus directs our attention to the kingdom 
But the early followers rightly recognized that to see what the kingdom entailed, they must attend to his life, death, and resurrection. For his life reveals to us how God would be sovereign. To become followers of Jesus means we must, like him, be dispossessed of all that we think gives us power over our own lives and the lives of others. Unless we learn to relinquish our presumption that we can ensure the significance of our lives, we are not capable of living in the peace of God's kingdom, end quote. Only when we understand ourselves as laborers fortunate to be hired in the 11th hour, given more than we deserve, can we begin to treat others around us with the same generous and gracious justice that we have been treated with. The kingdom of heaven is like a city that didn't deserve to be saved, but was. Like a complaining people who are given bread. The kingdom of heaven is like, I think, a priest who refuses to stop calling out justice. Oscar Romero is the priest who continues to defend the rights of the poor in El Salvador, though there are death threats at his front door. He was the Archbishop of San Salvador, refused, and he refused to be silent when less esteemed colleagues and the least of these, the nameless poor, were being murdered. And he was shot while holding up the bread of communion. And if the kingdom of men and of violence, if that is the truest kingdom, then perhaps he died in vain. But Romero believed in the cross-shaped kingdom of Christ, in a light that burns so brightly that darkness can never overcome it, a kingdom truer and more powerful than any kingdom wrought by bullets. The cross-shaped kingdom of Christ is what we are woven into, where the first are last, where our understanding of justice itself is turned on its side and challenged. That, that kingdom will be at hand this week, wherever you are ready to seek it. It was there last week, at a bar in Ravenswood at our Beer and Hymns event. The kingdom was at hand when the bar was filled with the hymns of the saints and the melodies caught the ears of people wandering by who were reminded of the songs they used to sing. The kingdom of heaven is like a meal brought to a family who needs to know that they're not alone. Those who feast at this table are citizens of Christ's cross-shaped kingdom woven together and empowered to live courageous lives of grace and gratitude. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.